This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. Welcome to Author Voices on Air, and I'm your host, Rick Bell. Our next book, The Fourth Wife of Alier Bay, is a portrait of bygone societies and worlds which the author feels will never be regained. The story of a courageous life. She was a model, he was in the Foreign Legion. They met in Paris and were married in Tehran. And joining me today to tell us more about his love story. It gives me great pleasure to welcome our next guest, the author, who affectionately likes to be known as Mrs. Menon. Welcome to the show and thank you for joining me. Now, it's a book of love. It's a book set in history. How did you come to write the book? What gave you the the idea and what gave you the inspiration and motivation? Well, um, I think celebrity lives have been documented already. Whereas there are apparently ordinary people who lead extraordinary lives. And if we don't write about them, if we don't document their lives, they'll be lost. The stories will be lost. Well, it's certainly true. And I think everybody, if you look into everybody's life, we all have a story to tell. And as you say, it's not all about celebrities. Now, when you were writing this book, you must have had a readership in mind. Who did you write the book for? Um, I think... People who are interested in recent history of the region, which is not the Middle East, it's Iran. Well, they they sort of sort of went into, ended up in Iran, and um, quite a varied life. Uh, they lived in North Africa. She lived in Paris in North Africa. He was in North Africa as well. They lived in Iran. So um, I think I think you know that there's quite a lot of movement there, and as I said, um, if we don't document all these lives now, they're lost. So you're not only telling a love story, but you're, as you say, recording history. What are, what is the one thing that you would like readers and listeners to the show to take away from reading this book? I think I'd like them to be aware that uh, Iran was quite quite a happy place. Was once, no longer today, of course. Now, tell me a little bit more about some of the scenes and the characters in the book, just to grab the listener's imagination. Uh, well, of course, they're both rather colourful characters themselves. Then. Um, I particularly enjoyed, I'll tell you which bit I did enjoy writing about. There is a Kurdish cousin who comes to visit. And I thought he was very funny. Well, I enjoyed writing about him. I mean, it's not very long, that chapter, but he's a very amusing character when he um, walks into their flat and leaves behind his followers, his companions, to guard them. This is in the middle of Tehran. 
and they remove their shoes when they walk into the flat. They don't remove their, they don't put aside their arms. So I thought that was quite funny. Now, can I ask just briefly, how did you discover uh, the, the main characters in the book that inspired you to tell the story? A mutual friend introduced us. So it was people that you actually knew. Now, the, the story, as you say, takes place in uh, Iran. What period in history does it take place? 20th century, before the Shah fell. So they arrived in Iran, I think it was 1956, and uh, they were there until 79. Well, she was there until 76, and he was there until 79. And you must remember, in his case, it was the second time he was rearranging his life and was displaced, because the first time his family had to flee Azerbaijan in 1920, when he was seven. So it certainly sounds like a story that will appeal to many people on different levels. As you say, it's a love story. It's a story of travel, of, in some respects, conflict in in the world. Uh, you mentioned there that That's he, right. had, he had to flee That's his right. original yes. country. Now, we've talked about the fact that it's not a story about celebrities. It's a story about real people, if I can use that term. But in what other respects would you say this book is unlike others on similar topics? And what makes it different? What sets it apart? I think the way they remade their lives every time, and particularly the way he did, and of course she did as well, because she just kept on accepting whatever he did, except right at the end when she walked out on him. So something about a sad ending to the story. What three words would you personally choose to describe the book, the story, the characters, etc.? Gosh, you know, I don't really know. Uh, as I said, she was a model. Her parents were displaced with the upheavals of the Russian Revolution. And he was displaced all the time from the age of seven. So I think I think the way I'd like to describe them is courageous lives, which is what I've said in the introduction. Now, when you're writing a book, um, obviously there's a degree of research, uh, which is helped by the fact that, as you say, you, you knew the characters in the book. But what did you find the most challenging part of writing this book, and what was the most rewarding aspect of it? The most challenging part was that I couldn't find any documentation on his life. She had some photographs, she had one newspaper article, and I found a couple of paragraphs in another biography, an autobiography actually. Um, and that was it. So I had to piece together everything from what she'd said and what other people were telling me and so on. And there weren't other, too many other people who, who were still alive. And that was very challenging. So how did you manage to, to fill in the gaps? I mean, you've mentioned there that you didn't have a lot of documentation about his life to go on. So how did you manage to, to fill in those gaps in your research? Well, I went by what she told me and or what she she knew of his life 
And the thing is, she was 20 years younger than he was. So she wasn't present for a large part of his life anyway. And I had to piece together things from from what she told me. And um, as I said, there were a few people still alive who remembered him, but most of them were dead, which is why, uh, as I said, I went to his cousins, and that's the last chapter, the second last chapter in the book. Now, reading the story myself, um, it certainly sounds like a story, it sounds like characters that would be straight out of a movie. Is that, could, could you ever see this um, be made into a, a TV drama or a movie? Oh, I'd love to see it done. I think it's, it's very rich visually, so I'd love to see it done. Just really on a light-hearted note, if this was to be turned into a television series or a movie, who would you amongst all the famous actors um, that are either still with us or not, who would you choose to play the two leading roles? Uh, Well, she herself told me ages ago, before she died, that she would have liked uh, an Indian actor called Kabir Bedi to play her husband. And she saw Kirsten Scott Thomas as herself. This is what she said. Well, certainly it sounds that um, the lady herself obviously could see her own life story um, on on the silver screen, as they say. Now, is there anything that we haven't covered here today that you feel is important for people to know about the story and about your book? Well, I think I said it all in the book, so I hope they'll read it. Well, I certainly haven't read it myself. I would certainly recommend that they, um, they read this book. It's a story that will appeal to so many people. I think so. It's not a woman's story, you know, it's not chick lit. I think it's a story that appeals to listeners and readers who like love stories, who like historic, especially the fact that the the story in itself is based on, you know, it's, a, it's real people, it's a true story, and it has many historic aspects to it. And I think the main thing is that people love reading about real characters, um, and that that makes a better story than anything that fiction could make up. I think so. I hope so. Anyway, thank you. The Fourth Wife of Alia B is published by Author House, and is available from the publisher at authorhouse.com forward slash bookstore and all good bookstockists. Many thanks to my guest today, the author, Atida Javeri Menon. Thank you for joining me on the show. This is Rick Bell for Tognet Radio. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. 
Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Bobby Cinema's Second Librarian Detective Series. And joining me from Missouri in the United States is the author, Bobby Cinema. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Thank you. My pleasure to visit with you. And in our first parts of our conversation before we started recording, I understand you have actually written several books. This is the second in the series called The Second Librarian. Share with my listeners a little of your background and how you became interested in becoming an author. Um, I'm from, uh, I'm Bobby, uh, uh, I'm Bobby Cinnamon. I grew up, I was born and raised in the United States. And I got my inspiration of being a book writer when I was 24, when I was in college. I started as a screenwriter. When my niece was born, uh, my mom made me, uh, asked me if I could write a book for her. And I started my first book called The Princess School, and that's where I started to become a book author. And I got a self-publishing, uh, then I met, then I found Trafford online, and that's how I became a book author. You have been writing for a while. Your creativity must be something that you've carried with you from childhood. Was there authors that you used to read as a child or were introduced to that motivated you to think about creative writing? Well, I learned from uh, some of my idols, uh, John Grisham, Stephen King, and Nicholas Sparks, and G.K. Rowling. They were all struggling uh, book authors just like me. But also, some of my inspirations come from uh, other celebrities who became screenwriters. One of them is Adam Sandler, Chris, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck were also my four favorite screenwriters and inspired me to go into writing. You also uh, mentioned an article that you read on Mark Wahlberg that sort of motivated you. What was that about? Well, it was about Mark Wahlberg said that he can't join the LAPD because he's ineligible because he had a rap sheet in 19... 19- about in, back in the eighties, that he uh, that he got in trouble with the law, and he wasn't and he was ineligible to to join the police force or join the LAPD reserves because of those rap sheets. Mostly, I read the requirements so that they're not nobody is allowed to join the police force if you have a rap sheet. Is so that I right? found another way around it in my book. In your book, and and the second librarian that is the. Is that the title, not the title, but also the occupation of your main character? Yes. And what is the name of your character, your primary detective? Yeah, my, well, I have two characters from two uh, two characters. One of them is called uh, Wahlberg, about yeah, the character of Mark Wahlberg, who is resembles uh, the real actor Mark Wahlberg, where he's a big uh, he's a big movie star. And also TV, and also a music star. Interesting. He wanted to join the LAPD to, uh, reserves, but he's ineligible to do because he had a rap sheet, and he was in Juvie uh, Hall. So he found a way. He got a PI license and became a private investigator, 
became an LAPD consultant for the internal affairs. His uh, friend in England, buddy, joined the LAPD. He helped him get a man. My second best part of the series is called Mark Como. It's about, uh, about an autistic guy who works in, uh, uh, in a factory where, where disabled people work at. And he got a chance to, he has a PI license and works as a uh, police consultant for the Kansas City Police Department. So this story is set in Kansas City, the first one in L.A. Is that uh, my understanding? Is yeah. that correct? Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. And when you, this is a book of uh, 220 pages, not a really, really, really long novel. Would you say it has a lot of action and uh, scenes in here that are going to be memorable to the reader? Uh, yes, a lot. You say you had a background as a screenwriter, so did you write this with the hope that maybe it might get picked up and turned into a movie adaptation? Yes, but it's not easy to think. I tried to my uh, my others, but they all turned me down. That happens a lot with authors and with writers and even screenplay yeah. writers. In some, I, I heard of one particularly successful individual that I think had 150 or 200 turndowns before they had a runaway success with their creative efforts. Well, one thing I can uh, tell you about when you go into screenwriting or or being a book author, reason why agents and, uh, and uh, produ- uh, production companies turn them down because they don't take unsolicited material. Even I tried to with my other books. That's an interesting uh, side note. When you wrote this 220 pages and began uh, fleshing out the story, did you have an outline to begin with, or was this, as some writers do, just something that came on a creative uh, impulse and you began to write? Well, it actually uh, came to me when I read that article. And how long did it take, Bobby, to complete well, it took me about uh, nearly about one or two weeks. That's all. Yeah. That's focus. That's focus. Now, yeah. you, did you work around the clock, or did you do a lot of edit, editing and revisions after that first draft, or how did that come about? Well, I'm actually, uh, just like I said, just came to me. I had to had a research, do look things over. One thing about being a book author and a screenwriter, you have to do a lot of research about all the five W's and one H. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. And that was a, a short process for you. I have some authors that have taken uh, as much as 20 years to complete their first novel. You would uh, describe this again as an action novel or an action picture or an action book. What is the the one scene that you think will stand out to the reader? It's about, a, it's about teamwork, about working together. You know, that one man can change the world. Mostly in every action movie I ever watched, it's always about some good-looking guy. Me and my books, I'm looking for a regular guy, ordinary guys that can actually make a difference. And uh, what's what what scene do you think is going to be the one that's going to blow up on the screen, or is there one like that with a lot of action? Well, it's not just it's not just about action scenes. It's about research. It's about the same things I always do, and it's about guys who sit down on the table. They look at the they look at files. They come up with facts and ideas. And research. That's what uh-huh. people are going to look at is the research. You know, about all the five W's and one H. People sit down together and work together and, and talk like personal stuff. Sure. So would you describe this as different from other uh, action or what would be termed action thrillers because it really deals with the um, the intellectual approach to solving a mystery? 
Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. I think that's uh, that's unique in its own own right. Were there challenges in coming up with the uh, completion of this novel? Uh, no. The one that inspired me the most is from the TV series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Unlike any other, uh, unlike any other uh, detective series, this is where people actually sit down and actually research, look things over, and uh, figure out all the five W's in one inch. That's exactly how they get things done. Is there a moral yeah. to the story? I mean, did you did you also, when you completed this, look back over the storyline and say, well, this is more than just an adventure read or a uh, a mystery that was solved through intellectual development. It, it also has a moral behind it. What would you say that would be? Yeah. It's that uh, one man can change one role, that, uh, that we can all work together and also help each other. It's like uh, it's okay to ask for help once in a while. Amazing that you have completed two books in this series. Was this first novel also completed the same way, using the same techniques? Uh, it was the same way, but I wrote it years ago. I just never never put it in a book before, until now. The yeah. reason why you put the first one, called Bobby Sosema's first library detective series, is I can't afford to, I can't afford to print uh, seven stories and, and seven books, so I only can put, the only thing I can do is put seven stories in one book. It's the first time I ever did that before. What is your hope for this series? You know, you know me, uh, people know that there are people out there like me out there that want to make a difference. You know, that uh, you can, uh, you can uh, if, there is a, if you have problems, you can always go to a library and look things over or figure out what to do. Fascinating. This is the second in the series. Are you also planning a sequel or a follow-up book to this in the series? Well, we'll see. I guess we'll see how it will turn out. Very good. This particular book is titled Bobby Cinemas. Uh, that's the author. Second Librarian Detective Series. So it's Second yep. Librarian Detective Series and the author Bobby Cinema. Bobby, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Well, it's online. Well, right now it's online. I also got uh, book buyer's insurance, so I'm trying to sell, trying to get it in stores right now. But uh, you have to right now. I have to talk to Barnes and Noble and Barnes and Noble to put it on their bookstores. And do you have a website? Have you developed a fan page or a website yet? Uh, yes, I got. Yeah, I got one. And what is but that address? It's uh, Bobby Dash Cinema dot com. I think Bobby But you have to put a Dash, like a I think. Minus on there. Sure, bobby is is where they can keep yeah. in contact with you. And do you have any excerpts from the book at the website, or is it uh, simply yeah, a contact? A- yes. Wonderful. Yes, yeah, on Amazon. Uh, it's on worldwide uh, internet. It, we, I got one on Amazon. I got one on Barnes and Noble, and anywhere worldwide. Bobby, okay. you've, Bobby, you've mentioned you have written other books, and uh, for the uh, the sake of my listeners who may want to also connect on those, what are the titles that you have written, or some of them? One of them, my first book I wrote was called The Princess School, and also the Three Princes series about three different princesses going through uh, going through different adventures. And was that written for a younger audience, perhaps? Actually, for teens and adults. Excellent. And uh, your current your current series is more adult in its uh, in its focus, at least from the standpoint yeah. that uh, they may want to uh, have to they may have to think a little bit to get to the conclusion. Wonderful, super. Right online. 
They can also request that at their local bookseller if they would like to get a copy of this yeah. after maybe doing a, a short read of a recap of the story. They can do that by asking for Second Librarian Detective Series or also any books by Bobby Cinema. C-I-N-E-M-A, just like the movies. Bobby, this is a great idea. I, I like the fact that you have approached this from an intellectual and thinking man's approach rather than just a lot of activity that may or may not lead to a conclusion. Uh, very well done. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. My, thank pla you, uh, My pleasure. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Half questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book has an unusual title. The title, Mommy. Was Grandpa a Nazi? And my author who joins me from Florida is Elizabeth Falcone. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. You have a background as an educator. This book also is an education book to some degree. Describe it for my listeners. Well, the book um, has the question, uh, Was Mommy Was Grandpa a Nazi? And it is answered in the book. Hmm. Um, the question, the, the reason I wrote the book was because my daughter had asked me that while she was taking the Holocaust um, studies at school, and then uh, 30 years later, as I was teaching, one of my students asked me, why are the Germans so awful? Mm. Because they had been studying the Holocaust in school. And that prompted me to write the book. I felt I had to write something to explain that not all Germans are awful. Sure. And I also have wanted to explain that my, fa my father was indeed not a Nazi. But... Um, I also found that when the student asked me the question, it was a stereotype. And a fifth grader using a stereotype is, you know, that's, that's common. Kids learn from at home what, how to look at other people. So I felt um, I ought to write this book. And then I realized in my own experience that so often I had become acquainted with other people over food by sharing a meal. And... Uh, found that when you sit down to eat with people, you talk about the food, what's in the food, what the ingredients are, and then you find out a bit about each other. So I thought that was a good way to get to know other people, and I thought I'd combine it with um, my family history and other people's histories of um, encounters with prejudice. 
Wonderful. You, you just for clarification for my listeners, you have uh, German in your history. I mean, that, that your family was uh, Germanic in its uh, origins. Uh, yeah. They go back um, maybe how many centuries, perhaps? Maybe, maybe. Well, <laughs> or was it that probably long? Probably <laughs> as long as it's for the Neanderthal. Yes, back, <laughs> go all a, the long, way back. a long time. And, and one of the misconceptions and, and one of the things you address in this, that the, the term Nazi, I'm sure, many people equate that with German ancestry and Germany in specific, but it doesn't go back hundreds of years, does it? I mean, back in the, no. uh, the 1800s, uh, there was a, a well-known author, Heinrich Hoffmann, who wrote a, a book that actually uh, degrades uh, the idea of bigotry. And and uh, and is is written uh, to counteract that in his uh, in his environment, correct? Yes, it's a children's education book about consequences. When you play with matches, you might set yourself or the house on fire. And when you tease uh, uh, dark-colored children, you might end up in the inkwell. Interesting. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yes, it's amazing. An amazing, amazing uh, story. But um, it was. Circulated. It was in every household during the World War during the Nazi era, which is also amazing. It, that is amazing, and and the story itself um, is unique because in Germany, people of color were not that prevalent uh, back when it was written. No, I never. I saw one uh, black person. I was in in the military in Stuttgart when I was on the train on the um, tram to go to school. First one that was in fifty. Six, fifteen, seven. I was already, um, you know, twelve years old. So that was the first time I saw a, a person of other color. Phenomenal. Your book. You mentioned you have recipes, or have uh, at least approached the idea of food in your book. What do you think people will find interesting about your book besides the uh, the personal history that's shared? Well, besides the personal history, I I asked. I asked friends of mine and family to contribute to the book with their stories where they encountered prejudice. And one of the common threads throughout their stories was um, that they came together with other people of other religions or other ethnic background over a meal or by sharing recipes or sharing food. So my recipes go back to the person who told me the story and what they served me or what they were served by others that kind of created a bond and um, you know an awakening and a realization that we all love food we're all similar in that <laughs> respect we all love food and we love to present it and give it and give of ourselves to others through the food you mentioned also another book that was discovered during your research or planning this book called a gita's diary share with my listeners a little of that story Oh, that's so interesting. Uh, my mother, my, my, well, it goes back to my grandfather, who was a Nazi for about six months. He joined up because everybody was unemployed. He was unemployed. So he thought, oh, this is a great party. They'll give us jobs. So at uh, Kristallnacht, Crystal Night, where they bashed in all the, they were ordered to bash in all the Jewish shops, mm. he refused because these people were his clients. He had a truck, and he did, they made deliveries for them. So when he refused, the Nazis came two days later, picked him up, sent him off to a labor camp, hard labor, one year of hard labor because he refused. Wow. And because my mo- grandmother was alone with three children, she had to make a living. So she fed these wharfed, the workers who were working at the wharf in Kiel. And 
one of the co-workers, my mom's co-workers, had cousins that had come from Poland to Berlin because the Germans had invaded Poland, and the parents sent them to Berlin to their grandmother. Well, when they found out that my grandmother needed work, a help, they came to help my grandmother with the cooking and the babysitting. They were a nanny and a cook, wow. Gita and her sister. And, you know, they were Polish, but they had German uh, ancestry. But they spoke German, they were Polish, and nobody asked any questions, you know. Who cared? Phenomenal, uh, interesting history. You you ha you not only uh, deal with the past, but you also deal with the present. And in your book, you also uh, share a story about, or titled, or, or maybe maybe the best way to describe it. It's called the Axe Marks the Spot. Right. What is right. that? What is that encounter? <clears throat> well, actually, that is very interesting because. Um, Aix-en-Provence in, in southern France is where this art institute is that I attended with a friend, Paul. Paul was also a student, and he told me this story that he went to the, uh, a restaurant, a Lebanese-owned restaurant, an, a Lebanese owner. He was an artist, wanted to paint a portrait of the daughter, and she, she was beautiful, beautiful uh, Mediterranean beauty. But she was engaged to an Irishman, the mm -hmm, chef, the mm -hmm. pastry chef at the restaurant. Well, Paul hails from Brooklyn, and, in, in his, and his mother was um, Catholic, his father was Muslim, and they lived, they had also come from Lebanon, they lived in Brooklyn, and when he was growing up, he had learned about the prejudice against the Irish. The Irish and the Germans hung out together, these blonde, blue-eyed, fair-haired fair uh, people, fair-skinned people, and he had learned to become prejudiced against them and feel superior to them. Hmm. Well, this was all inside of him as he met this uh, beautiful uh, daughter of the, the owner, who was also Muslim, and um, the chef, uh, he, he couldn't help himself. He, was, he felt uh, prejudiced against him. He felt angry. Then it turns out that the chef reveals to Paul that his brother is a priest in a high school where Paul used to go to school. Oh, wow. So all of his, and he just, oh, and he serves him this delicious Irish cream, this delicious <laughs> dessert. And Paul, every, every bite he takes, his, his uh, prejudices melt away, and he, he can't help himself, and he ends up adoring um, the Ryan, Ryan, the chef. Phenomenal. Who is getting ready to marry this gorgeous uh, <laughs> daughter. And uh, the, the, the sad part about it is that the Lebanese owner told Paul, we couldn't name our restaurant uh, Le Petit Sidon, which was the little named after the town that his uh, the wife was uh, born in. They had to just put restaurant because the local people, the city council, didn't want any uh, Leban Lebanese uh, restaurants in the neighborhood. Incredible. Now oh, yeah. Would you say the underlying uh, story or theme or or advice that your book gives is learn some good recipes and invite some uh, people you don't like over for dinner? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And don't hesitate to go to somebody's house that you're not, you know, you know maybe out your, outside of your comfort zone or color. You know, don't hesitate to go or follow an invitation, accept an invitation. 
Eat the food. Eat the food and enjoy the fellowship. <laughs> right. Your family, when did it migrate to the United States or immigrate to the United States? And uh, how, it, was their, uh, how was their journey through World War II in Europe? Well, let's go back to World War II. I was born during a bombing raid, literally, in the basement because they, they couldn't deliver me in the, in the top floor mm. and in Berlin. So during a bombing raid, I was born, and my mother had to flee a week later because when she went home to her apartment, it had been bombed out. So she had to flee on one of the last trains leaving Berlin. This was March 45. Leaving Berlin, that was still open. Everything else was closed up, and the Russians were coming in from the southeast. And all that time, my father was on the Russian front. I mean, he hated Hitler. He had to listen to his speeches in Berlin when he was growing up. He just couldn't stand them. But he was drafted. He was drafted to, to fight the war for, you know, against the Russians. And then um, we all moved down to the south of Germany and um, then immigrated in 1959 to Kentucky, to Lexington, Kentucky. Lexington. Amazing. Yeah. You have mm-hmm. also, uh, under Gita's diary, it really was a diary, day by day, almost account of what was happening yeah. during that time period. Period. How would you yeah. describe to my listeners uh, the overview of your book, Mommy Was Grandpa a Nazi? Uh, the overview, well, it, it contains a personal history as well as capsules. Capsule capsules of other people's history because of their background, what they encountered when they uh, revealed their, you know, ethnic background and religion, and how, and how you overcome all that because you're looking for similarities. When you start looking for similarities, um, our family has found it here in America, uh, being immigrants, we'd look for similarities and deal with the rest of it that that's not so comfortable but we look for similarities and that's what's important i think in the whole book it is you have also the 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 style of writing you have uh basically have you recreated conversations in your book or was it uh, all fictional the the conversations that are are recounted here or how would you how would you say your style was in uh, sharing those stories well it's based on non-fiction I mean, it's non. It's based on real history and real stories. The details <laughs> of each dialogue cannot yes. possibly be. You know, I couldn't possibly recreate every word. Right. But I took the gist. I took the gist um, of what was going on. The the feelings that were uh, shared. The the, the the location. You know, uh, one of one of the stories. The and uh, the for, uh, enemy forces stories is when I was at this marvelous Fourth of July party that the French uh, city citizens gave us. Well, there was some lightheartedness there and uh, uh, fun, but also this uh, memory of World War II that the mayor talked about. So that was serious. I don't uh, didn't uh, quote his speech, but it's it's uh, basically what happened, and I provide the dialogue that leads through the story that keeps the story going and so much of it is in clear in my memory or it was clear in the memory of the people who told me their story 
uh, recipes, gooseberry raspberry pie. I am uh, hungry for dessert as you uh, as we speak this morning. You have uh, have done a, a, an all encompassing book. It's a little bit narrative, a little bit historical. It's a little bit uh, insight into family history, a little bit of everything for uh, the reader. Two hundred twenty four pages. How long did it take to complete this, uh, Elizabeth? Well, as soon as I retired, it. I started, it took five years. Five years. Have you yeah. enjoyed the journey enough that you may have a follow-up book in the near future? Oh, no. I don't know. I'm 70 years old, and the one thing I had to do after the, I finished the, the English, I, I translated it into German. Oh, my. So I, finished, I just finished the translation, and that was a journey. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, it is a journey. When you're writing the book, it's a journey talking to people about their experiences, putting it down, and, and having fun with it. You know, some people ask me, well, are you going to make a lot of money? And I said, you know what? It doesn't matter. The, writing the book and talking to all these people, including the, the uh, 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 publisher, the people at the publishing house, has been such an exquisite journey. And a revelation. Every time I turn around and I and I give the book away, I usually I'm giving the book away. People, oh yeah, oh yeah, I had that happen to me. Oh yeah, 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 that that happened to me. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I love to cook, you know. So mm. that's the journey. Okay, you know that's important. Meeting people. Absolutely. Congratulations on completing this. The title again is "Mommy Was Grandpa a Nazi." The author Elizabeth Falcone. Where can my listeners get a copy of your book, Elizabeth? At Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And their local bookseller, if they ask and for it by name. Bookseller, exactly. Phenomenal. Exactly. Okay. Elizabeth, now, do you have a website developed yet? Yes, I do, and the the website's called. Mommy was Grandpa Nazi. www.mommywasgrandpaanazi.com. And people can get in touch with you there and also maybe hear this interview again if they yes. choose. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. I'm also on Facebook. <laughs> Good. And how can they reach you? How can they reach you on Facebook? Do you have a fan page there? Yes, I do. And it's just going Elizabeth Falcone. Excellent. Let me spell your last name for my listeners who may be challenged like I can be at times. <laughs> F-A-L-C-O-N-E. And, and Elizabeth uh, is with an S. With an it's S. The German, German the ch- the German, spelling. The German spelling, yes. Elizabeth. Yes. Elizabeth. Uh-huh. E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H. Yes. Thank you for joining me today. Okay. Thank you for sharing your story and, and also the journey of completing this book. I will look forward to possibly... Maybe there'll be a cookbook in the future. Who knows? We we look forward to visiting <laughs> okay. with you again. Thanks again for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. For, pleasure. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker.